Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Leland and Amy Driggs of Bale Skis. They join us from northwestern Montana. And today we're going to talk about the background and the family cattle operation. We're going to talk about the genesis of Bale Skis and then some of the more contemporary things going on with Bale Skis. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Tell me about your operation. For over 20 years, we've been doing a holistic resource management with our cattle, and uh, we don't do much farming anymore. It's just mostly grazing. We used to have four service range ground that we ran on in the summertime, but it got to be too big of a headache and too big of an expense. We've gone to the holistic resource management, kept keep everything at home. We've fenced the place and divided. We have 52 pastures we rotate through now, and we're actually running more cattle on the home place and what we did when we had 30,000 acres of Forest Service summer range. We don't feed a lot of hay. We we buy NRA for two reasons. Uh, one's it's better for us and better for the place. Plus, because we make the bale skis, it's, uh, we feel kind of obli- obligated to support the hay growers too. So, But it works out better for us that way. Haying season is a is the busiest time in the in the baler liners, but the cattle seem to do a lot better on the rotation of grazing. The people ask me what it's like not to have the Forest Service range and do the holistic management. And as a simple answer, I just tell them it's like taking a vacation at home. That's that's the big big difference in the in the whole operation. Now I didn't know you guys did the holistic management. How did you get into that? Like a lot of things in agriculture, you're more or less forced into it. Like I say, the Forest Service uh, range was turned into a a nightmare with all the environmental stuff, and uh, they were trying to force us to do more and more out there, and it wasn't practical, and and it was getting to where things were getting so expensive, and for a number of years, cattle prices were Depression-era returns. It came very close to where we were even talking about selling the place and getting out of it. We didn't want to, but we didn't see any other options. And we kept researching stuff and finally ran across a web page on Alan Saver and holistic resource management. We got into that and uh, the Bud Williams method of handling cattle, and we went to some schools and we started there, that's 20-some years ago, and then had some of the instructors come out on the place and get us started on it. Turned the whole operation around. We finally got to where we were actually making a profit instead of a loss every year. It was a lot more relaxing and took a lot of the stress out of out of cattle ranching. So that's that's basically what happened. When I think of that holistic management, I think higher labor is there a lot more time involved in moving those cattle around, uh, even though you're at home? Uh, I guess if you'd say a, a change of labor, where the other labor was, and I, and I do miss moving the cattle around out on a Forest Service range of horseback, and it was kind of a relaxing thing to do in the summertime, but at the same time, it got so stressful and so expensive and so much pressure from the from the environmental faction in the Forest Service that it, Instead of, like in the fall, when we bring the cattle home, it used to take us two weeks to clean up the range and have them home. And the last few years on the Forest Service, it took us 
two to three months to bring them home. Now, it, when we go to work cattle, it takes two or three hours to do it instead of weeks and months. But then in the summertime, you're every two or three days you move cattle. But moving cattle isn't isn't like it was before, which I miss some of it. But the, the cattle get used to going to fresh feed every time you go out and open the gate, so they know that's what's going to happen. So you basically don't even have to. You're not moving the cattle. All you do is go out and open a gate, and, and the cattle move themselves. So that's you know, even at the far end of the place. You're talking about a half hour to do the whole job so that's a lot easier that way and gives them more time to do other things to that you would have to do yourself or hire somebody else to do it so it's it's a lot more economical throughout the year so that way there's more profit in it so but so dad would it be accurate to say that um because this was all happening around the same time you were coming up with the bail skis idea it would it be accurate to say that it changing things up also gave you the headspace and the time to actually think about something like the bale skis and, and spend time on it? Well, it definitely gave me more time to, to do that. I Because to start out with, with the bale skis, I had to build everything, the machines to make it, the experimentation and everything. But Let's back up here and go through the thought process that led you to the bale skis. Well, uh, the thought process was a lot of frustration, a lot of cussing with the bailers. And, you know, <laughs> I but, may have said a bad word directed at a bailer once or twice. <laughs> at that time, we were putting up small bales, and it was, you know, we are running 30, 35,000 bales of one cutting, and you're fighting the weather and the equipment, and worked as a millwright, and mechanic at different welder fabricator different times and and with mechanical uh, machinery each movement in a mechanical device is is meant to do a certain thing and if if it does one thing it, it's supposed to do it every time and in a baler that's not true for or wasn't because it didn't repeat doing the same thing it was something to go wrong continually and you could never figure out what it was, and we ended up calling it chasing ghosts in the baler because you'd, you'd think you'd have it fixed like the nodders, and then he'd go back doing what I was doing. We'd call in mechanics sometimes from 75 miles away, and they'd come work on it for an hour or two and say it was fixed, and 10 minutes after they were down the road, it went back doing what I was doing before. Researched everything through the dealerships and mechanics and, and manufacturers of balers, and none of them seemed to come up with a solution to all these problems and my main problem was was the nodders themselves like i say it's out of frustration is is how you how you start working on this stuff but anyway the when i finally solved the problem what solved the problem of nodders i found was causing all the rest of the problems too the bale density the wear and tear on the equipment the a lot of breakdowns and bale uniformity leaf loss but i was mainly set out to solve the nodder problem and which this did like they say the rest is history so you're on the eastern side of the idaho panhandle and in very northwest montana right that's correct all right i'm just on the other side of the idaho panhandle in very northeast washington Mm -hmm. i'm guessing you were probably into some garrison grass maybe or 
some other kind of springy grasses and and then some grass alfalfa mixes that you were trying to put up is that right yeah we had a mixture of just about everything here depending on you know how old the fields were and of course the ground they were growing on but and we had a just about all our mixes had some timothy in and and timothy is you know it's if you get the right conditions it makes a real good baler if you don't it you're totally crazy with a baler yep <laughs> i know all about that <laughs> that was one of the things i couldn't figure out is why you know it had bail in certain conditions they were tie in certain conditions make good bail in certain conditions wouldn't in others and in little little changes of conditions and humidity and it seemed like a mechanical device should go this through the same movement every time it should do the same thing every time right? and it, it wasn't doing it so, so it had to be some other factor within the within the baler that was doing it so so how did you come to a hardened plastic chamber liner it's not really hardened it's it does have some special properties in it that stabilizes friction and that's one of the big problems with a with metal in a bale chamber Metal changes friction instantly with a change of temperature and moisture. And even the hay in a windrow changes temperature and moisture from the top of the windrow to the bottom of the windrow. So with each stroke of the plunger, whatever portion of the hay goes against the metal in the bale chamber determines the movement and the compression of each stroke of the plunger. So it was constantly constantly changing movement and pressure, and then also added the spring back in it. That's why you couldn't get a uniform bale, and that's also why what was causing the knotter problems because the knotters in the bill hook and the and the twine disc, the twine holder, have to be within a certain tolerance of pressure on each end of that twine in order to, in order to make a, a good knot because of that spring back and the change in density and everything. Quite often, you didn't have the same tension on both ends of the twine when it was tied, so. That was actually what was was causing the majority of your knotter problems. With the material stabilizing the friction in the bale chamber and then machine the pattern, a one-way pattern on the bale skis themselves so that it would prevent the spring back. The hay would go one way, but it couldn't spring back toward the plunger. So the combination of the two is what we're doing. But at the same time, we were all doctrinated to think in order to get a Solider, heavier bale, more uniform bale. It took more friction. It took a restriction in the chamber. Right. What we found with experimenting with different stuff and different materials and patterns and everything else is that you can actually get a more uniform, solider bale with less friction. The material we use only has 15% of the friction of, of steel. So consequently, your whole machinery, baling machinery, your baler and tractor and everything runs a lot easier, a lot smoother. You can pick up your ground speed. It'll take hay faster. It gives you more uniform bales. It gives you solider bales. You can get heavier bales if you want them, and it prevents all your breakdowns and other problems. So it, it saves a huge amount, huge amount of time. And then particularly, especially in big bales, even if you can get 10% more weight per bale for 11 bales that you bailed, picked up, transported, stacked, stored, you're only making 10 bales. So it, it decreased all that extra work and extra expense and extra fuel, everything. That ended up in huge savings, too. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. 
the baler I have, they have their own net wrap that was recommended with that baler. I used to have close to 10 to 20% loss on, on my hay bales from a rippage. I used a small demo roll of Vermeer and baled 50 bales that day and didn't miss one. And the day after that, I ended up doing 347 bales in one day and didn't miss one bale. I'm Tyler Knight, and that's why I switched to Vermeer net wrap. Receive $20 off your purchase of two or more rolls of VermeerNet. Purchase must be made by December 31st, 2020. Download your coupon today at vermeernetwrap.com slash haykings. Somewhere along the lines, you sold your first bale ski. What did that look like? And then where did it go? The first bale skis I made, I made by hand on a die grinder. So it was a little, a little uh, labor intensive. But then neighbors started seeing our bales and you know asking questions and they started wanting them i wouldn't even sell them to them until you know how balers were or at least the way we thought of balers well maybe it works in mine but it won't work in yours you know or maybe we got certain conditions where mine's working fine but maybe if the conditions change it it won't work so good so i was real reluctant to to sell somebody something that i didn't have proof that it was actually doing what i thought i was doing we took it to the one of my daughters, Tara, the middle daughter. She was at the time working at the Alberta Farm Machinery Research Center in Lethbridge, Alberta, and they did they did uh, tests on on all kinds of farm machinery for well, even New Holland and you know the big companies and small companies and everything. So I was able to take it up there, and they ran some real extensive tests on it for three 12-hour days, and they weighed and measured and moisture tested and caught the leaf loss on each one with recorded everything on that. They're the ones that found we were getting 30% more leaf savings to the consistency of bale length and density and the reduction in water problems. And, And then after that, then when people started wanting them, I had some proof that they actually did it. But at the same time, I'm still real reluctant because you know the fickleness of haying and i said we won't sell these unless we offer a, a one-year full one-year money-back guarantee because i still don't know as much haying as i've done and as many who got out there i still don't know that maybe in certain conditions it won't work so we offer everybody a full money-back guarantee so if they can try it all summer and if it doesn't work just send it back we'll find the money so that's where we started, and, and I built the equipment to do the machining and the forming and all the rest of it. And we had some real wrecks, but our wrecks were, we got some material that was, it looked the same. You couldn't tell the difference of looking at it, but when it got out there, I mean, it wasn't even the same material. We got some material pushed off onto us, either by mistake or on purpose, I don't know which. But anyway, they the, the material wasn't, it didn't have the same reaction at all. It was wasn't doing anything or we refunded got a hold of everybody that had that we could find that had that material and even if they had it for a couple of years we simply either give them the offer to refund their money or replace it with a with a different one so anyway and and even to this day our most of our sales are through word of mouth but people that use them and are happy with them and tell other people so the one-year guarantee we got a contract with Case IH in New Holland, and when we were first negotiating on the contract, I said, well, <clears throat> it came around to the warranty on these, on our product, and they said, well, we only offer a 30-day guarantee on, on our parts and materials, and I, said, and I said, well, we don't. It's either 
we have a full year guarantee on our product or or we can't do it because a lot of these people buy them in the winter time do their work on their balers in the winter time install them in the winter time and they don't even get around to trying them till the next summer so i said that's that's the only way we'll do it is the full one year guarantee on it so anyway they did they did allow that so we do sell through case H and new holland so. and the first one the first one in a well we had some in our neighbors and then I did go to a show in Great Falls, Montana, and ran across a guy with a big baler, the 4,900, the 4x4s, and he did a lot of custom baling over around Chodoo and the prairie country over there, and straw and hay and grass and alfalfa, and, and he tried everything to get a, a heavier bale. As as you, everyone knows now, the 4x4 balers, you couldn't get a, enough weight to get a full load on a semi to make it make it uh economical for shipping yeah right yeah anyway he tried he even had combine rub bars welded inside his baler to try to put more pressure and more resistance on the hay coming through and so anyway he he was real interested in them and i hadn't built one for the big balers yet so i agreed that i'd build one and i'd come over and install it for him and then later that was in the winter time at the show and then the, the next summer after he tried it he called me up and he said this is the first time in my life i've ever had to take bales off of a truck to get down to <laughs> <laughs> legal weight <laughs> anyway that's that's just kind of how how it started and as i went around the country or happened to go somewhere i'd see a baler at a dealership or somebody's field or they were working the balers i'd stop and get measurements because I thought when I started, I thought, boy, this this is going to be a piece of cake. They got 14-inch balers and 16-inch balers, so I only have to make two models. 14-inch balers, New Holland alone, is they make a, a 13 and 7 eighths and a, a 14, a 14 and an eighth, a 14 and 3 eighths, a 14 and a quarter, 14 and, I don't know, something else, 14 and a quarter. And then all kinds of different lengths with each make and model of baler. So it, it didn't turn out quite that simple. But And that's just New Holland alone and all the rest of the companies do the same thing, too. So, you know, whenever we get a new baler we weren't sure of, I'd either take measurements or pay the farmer to take measurements for us. We'd send them a, a sketch diagram to where they take measurements and, and give them a deduction on the unit. And, and anyway, that's just kind of the way it progressed so we we make them for over 200 makes and models of balers and and they're coming out with new balers every year or two so we just try to keep up with it keep sending out those sketches for measurements and yeah mm-hmm. i'd imagine as a manufacturer when you're working with folks in australia you have to have some pretty good relationships can you take us through that we've sold bale skis kits all over the world um japan england germany turkey colombia puerto rico New Zealand, and of course, Australia. Australia has turned out to be our our largest international consumer. And I think that is due in large part to just the extreme conditions that they're working under. There are a lot of commercial operators there running big balers, three by fours, a lot of them, some four by fours, and some of those really big crones now. 
um, lots of high density balers, but the conditions they're working under are just, you know, a lot more extreme than people, you know, even if you're thinking about Arizona or deserts of California, it's even more extreme than that. The benefits that they reap from having bale skis installed and, you know, and I, I think dad can speak to this a little more, but just the extreme temperatures, um, the sandy abrasive soils, and just that they push so hard for weeks and weeks on end. It just, it's kind of never ending. We have small areas in this country where their conditions are similar, like parts of Arizona. But over there, the majority of the country over there is from one extreme to the other. If you get your snowy areas, and then you got desert areas, very dry country, and then you got tropical, extremely tropical areas. And those people are really pushers and workers, so they really test their equipment down there. I mean, they push it to the maximum, so real good relationship with all of them down there so it's worked out good for us you mentioned there's a little bit of family stuff going on here one of the things i'm always interested about is is this transition planning maybe i want to get your thoughts on bringing in the next generation and then we'll go to amy and get her thoughts on what it's been like from her standpoint when and how did you start bringing family into the operation well it probably started Quite some time ago, uh, Amy had worked in Japan for a few years, and then she came back from there and worked in Monterey for a while, and then they moved to New Mexico. Her husband, Jeff, was finishing up his degree in college, and and that's about the same time we were, well, shortly after we had gotten into this holistic resource management and, and talking with Amy and everything, and, and they they had a course at the holistic resource management school which was in albuquerque and alan savory himself lived there and so she took the course to be a holistic resource management educator so she got quite a lot of schooling and knowledge through that and she seemed to be the one that was more interested in in all of that stuff the place and the ranching and everything so they kind of started there and then after a few years and they moved around and she was always wanting to come back, so a few years ago she moved back here, and we've been working toward it ever since. So. Now, Amy, maybe he stole some of your thunder there, but let's bring you into this, and, and I'd love to hear your part of this story. Sure. Yeah, he stole all my thunder. No, I'm trying to... <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I moved back to the States from Japan, I was living close to the Bay Area in California. It was, you know, that kind of hard well, it's always a hard push down there with work and it was just super stressful. And I realized at a certain point, it really wasn't the life that I wanted to be leading and in the way that I wanted to be working and thinking about things. And that was right around the time I really started to learn about the holistic management information and coursework and decided that I wanted to go ahead and apply to to learn more about that. Uh, have you met Alan Savory in person? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. I even worked with him a little bit on a few projects. It's kind of... At that time, when I started working with him in the year 2000, that was just kind of part of the training was everybody did some kind of projects. And especially since I lived right in Albuquerque, where at that point he was living most of the year. So yeah, he's a very interesting guy. Very, very intelligent. Um, very interesting to to learn from and work with, for sure. As a sidebar, his TED Talk <laughs> is one of my absolute favorites. So if you're not familiar with TED Talks, go to TED.com, search Alan Savory. It is a great, oh, yeah. a, amazing yeah. TED Talk. Absolutely great. I agree. And if you're not into holistic management, 
if nothing else, he just thought about the world different. And I love people that just look at a problem and flip it on its head absolutely, and come up with something non-traditional, non-conventional. Well, but I mean, even just, just kind of segueing off that is going through that program really altered the way I look at things and the way I think about things and the way I value things. And um, it, it affects, you know, how I think about the Baleskis business and how I think about the ranching business. And it all just, to me, it just makes everything even more fascinating, you know, looking at it from all kinds of different angles. So I was going through the holistic management program to become a certified educator. And at the same time, I was working with another fellow there who was much more business oriented and was using the holistic management framework to work with um, boards for businesses and nonprofits. And so I got a lot of kind of hands-on experience with just the business side and how to approach things kind of from a holistic perspective in that sense. So that was great experience. And we started doing some work for my family, for the Baleskis, marketing work and advertising and you know all that. Because at that point, it had reached a, a stage where it was taking up a lot of my dad's time. And it wasn't really where he wanted to be spending his time you know, on sales and marketing. And he just had too many other responsibilities. And so we said, yeah, sure, let us help you. This We want to do this and we'll take some of that off your hands. So that's kind of how I ended up you know, both entering back into the family business for the Baleskis as well as the ranch. And as dad mentioned, I did want to move back to the ranch. It just took us quite a long time to be able to be in a position to be able to do that. I've only physically been back here since 2014, but I've worked with my parents since about the year 2000, I guess. Now, were there any bumps along the road in that transition in that coming back to the family operation, whether it was on the livestock side or on the bale ski side? Oh, aren't there always bumps? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's life. Lots of bumps, figuring them out. Um, I heard my cursing because of the young kids around. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not so many uh, curse words with toddlers running around. <laughs> oh, so that's one of the positive. Uh huh. One of the positives. Family back, huh? <laughs> Since I came back, we had a terrible drought year, and we've had a couple of terrible like winter snow years. We had some horrendous water rights battles. I got to a point where I thought, is like, is the universe throwing all of this at me all at once so I know how to handle it when my parents are gone? Or why is this happening? And then I'd say right around the time COVID hit, I went, no, I think this is just life. <laughs> I think this is just, you just get stuff thrown at you all the time and you just got to figure it out and keep going one foot in front of the other. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.